welcome to our first episode of Beside the Author. I'm Renika, your host and narrator, and this podcast will deep dive into the books alongside the actual author. We will look at the books in an in-depth study so you as our listeners and hopefully readers of the book can get a deeper understanding of the author's intended message. we are going to be examining a book called The Hidden Tree by Valton Brown. On the back of the book it gives us a quick synopsis so let's take a read. It says, do you believe that we have discovered the key to immortality, poverty, equality, disease, happiness, economic stability and climate change? If yes, then you may also believe that humanity's success is due to human evolution and a global transition called the era of Homo Deus, the era of the man-god. If your answer is no, then you are probably among those that are confused by the state of the world and the conflicting messages in the pulpit. The Hidden Tree is an examination of this and other philosophies that are the fuel of the largest global transition since the Industrial Revolution. Using the metaphor of a tree, we explore the historical out-of-sight root system and its evolutionary origin while looking forward to its purpose and goal through the use of God technology, dark intel, and the tools of self-determination, humanism. Are we the result of an evolutionary process or have we been duped into believing the technological revolution and other global transitions have successfully moved us towards a better future? Wow. So if this book is of interest to you, stay and listen along because here with me today is the author, Boughton Brown. Valton. Hello. How are you doing today? Uh, nervous, but I'm okay. <laughs> nervous. Don't be nervous. But I'm Don't okay. Be nervous. I'm okay. Thank you very much. Brilliant. So in this first episode, we are going to be reviewing the book's introduction. So any listeners that already have the book, please turn to the introduction. And we'll also be introducing the author, Valton, as well, just to give a, a great baseline into his perspectives and everything that, you know, is surrounding the book and how it came to being. So let's start with some of the high level questions. I've given you a bit of a sneak preview of the kind of things I'll ask you, Valton. But can you first start by introducing yourself as the author and a bit about your background? Yeah, well, firstly, I'd say that I would never have considered myself to be an author or a writer. Okay. I started uh, many years ago at secondary school, being dropped from, I think it was English language. My lecturer at the time said that I hadn't done the homework, so decided to uh, drop me from that particular class. That's a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that seemed to be the kind of experience I had at secondary school. I think primary school was my best experience. And then I got into secondary. The beginning was okay, but something happened that maybe I thought I could be as brilliant as my brother was, <laughs> sort of took the foot off the gas a bit or something. But the education system in itself uh, didn't really help me in the way that I think it could have done. I had to choose between German and O-level technical drawing, as it was called in, in the day. Yeah. Again, I was dropped from that class for disrupting the class, apparently. Oh, dear. Don't seem to have a great track record there. I don't, I don't have a great track record at all. All the way along through my education at school, that's what seemed to mark my journey. And the underlying statement I used to hear quite a lot is that you'll never do that or you'll never be that. And those sort of phrases carried right the way through to my introduction into the uh, workplace. Also within church circles, it made me think very much about things in a very different way. My mother had an encounter in a nightclub, it changed her life. 
And so that became, uh, I suppose the, the focal point for my experience, or should I say the mentor for me, even though going through the church or the congregations that I was in, I did have experiences through that, but it was much more to do with the foundation at home through my mom, who was a genuine prayer warrior, if you want to use that description. I use it very carefully because mm. I know what it means today. But her lifestyle was about prayer and a relationship with Yeshua Jesus. So that's where I drew my uh, inspiration from in a way as a younger man. Still trying to work through stuff, obviously, as you do. But she was a rock and a big, big influence on me. Okay, so let's summarize. So you were saying at school, different circumstances meant that different teachers based yep. on whatever reason, decided yep. to drop you from two subjects that I believe are factored into your life now later yep. on. So obviously you've written a book, so English. And then you mentioned about the technical drawings, which obviously here on the back of your book, it says that you're a chartered architectural technologist as well. And then you've mentioned about your mum being kind of like a mentor to you. So I can hear that you obviously are a Christian, would you say? And so, okay, so we've got that synopsis, a bit about who you are. I want you to give us a bit more history around how did you come to writing this book, The Hidden Tree? Because you've said you're, you know, not a writer naturally yeah. or different things. Yeah, as I say, I never set out to to write a book to say that I'm some kind of a, a special minister or anything like that. That was never sat in my heart. I would say that it's it's a culmination of questions and experiences from when I was first saved at 15. When I was very, very young, I remember one of the teachings that I heard in um, at church was that black people are under a curse. Now, for me as a young black boy, growing up to be a teenager and then hearing this particular teaching, the questions around it stuck with me because, as I mentioned, going back to school, when you've got that in the back of your mind and you think it really doesn't have an effect, when a teacher tells you, you'll never be that. When someone says that, who's a senior figure or someone who's supposed to be leading you as a younger person into a new world, that can have major ramifications. And that did stick with me. And uh, the question of whether I was under a curse would always raise its head whenever I was undertaking a very technical or responsible role. And if I doubted or made a mistake, that question would come to the fore, almost like, well, you know, you may, it may be the result of a curse why you can't actually achieve this mm. or you're not doing that well or, you know, some other strange idea would pop into, into my head. So I spent a, a lot of time questioning this and saying, where did this really come from? And, of course, um, looking at what uh, Yeshua says about us in the Bible it gradually began to unfold that actually this was an erroneous teaching. But I didn't really have the background or the understanding to really put that to bed, to say, this doesn't belong to me. So this formed part of my early walking experiences, many other experiences. So I don't want my, the listeners to think this is a perfect guy who's written this book. He's amazing and he's walked in the holiness of God and all these sort yeah. of things. I'm a normal human being who went through real experiences, who had to flesh out the Bible and, and see how, how God wants to walk in relationship with us in a very practical way, but at the same time, given us an insight into the world through his eyes and his heart. So those were the early questions and that developed over years through experiences that I had when I became we used to be called architectural technicians, and it's more 
recent years where the, the term chartered architectural technologists came in. So just simply, I would have taken a very technical route into the world of architecture and really taken what architects would have designed. This is a traditional role and fleshed it out to make it into something that works. So looking at the materials, details, and so forth and so on. But of course, over time, the industry recognized that there are individuals who had the capacity to design as well as look at the technical aspect of construction. But that world in itself, again, introduced me to all sorts of other things that came to bear. And one of them was the issue of mental health. One of my responsibilities was to carry out a survey on a psychiatric hospital. Again, I'm talking about this based on questions that I had already. So when I was carrying out a survey on this hospital, I had to look at ramp access and making the building accessible and improve it from that perspective so they could have an overall overview of the building to then implement the changes through carrying out works. Of course, when I went into the hospital, then I saw that there was someone from one of the families that I knew who was there. And I realized that's the reason I hadn't seen him in the community for so long. And that pattern began to unfold, that there were other people that I knew who also found themselves in the same system. So that alongside the early teaching that I mentioned to do with the Curse of Ham and then seeing these young black men and also black women in a system that I couldn't really understand why they were there until more recent years when I was really um, exposed to the, the reality of that world. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is it's been a journey of questions over a period of time that culminated in what we now have as a book, but it was triggered by certain events in more recent years, probably around about 2014, 2016, somewhere around about there. Okay, so we see that you've charted through many different aspects and like you said, it's brought you to this point. It was a, a series of loads of questions and you're seeking the answers from personal experiences and wider teachings that you've seen put through the church yeah. and that you know has affected other people as well, I assume, as well as yourself. And so then you've just mentioned now about um, recent events in 2016, did you say, or 2014? Yeah, it's, it's around about 2014, 2016, when I started to delve into things a little bit. And it was more to do with preparing for a small event that we were having and, and then a series of events that happened within that. So I'm trying to give you a snapshot of something that really had so many layers to it. Different people that were contacting me and we were talking to that triggered different thoughts and, and, and different concepts. But then it literally, I think there was a particular event that, um, that brought everything to a head for me. Yeah, please go, go into yeah. detail about it. Okay. So a, a young lad who came to see us at our home would just ask us questions and we talked to him just on a, a very friendly basis. He then asked if he could bring his friends along. And of course, one became a few, then it became a, a few more. But one of the, that group that came to our home brought a DVD with them. And I make reference to this in the book. Now, I don't advocate everything that this teacher was saying, but what it did do at the time was to highlight about music and the music industry. It included hip hop and the current artists that were very influential in the lives of young people, including Michael Jackson, which everybody talks about. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that DVD came to me at a time when I was already looking at some of the questions that I've already mentioned and was trying to find a way 
or, or praying about how I could release other people to not walk into the same error and not live by the same error. Because I believe in a God who sent his son to deliver us and set us free. So that means we're supposed to be free in all aspects if we're applying the word in those areas of our lives. So this young man brought this DVD anyway, and I left it on my uh, TV stand for a while and didn't look at it because I, at that point I knew there were many, many teachers saying all kinds of strange things. But this particular DVD, one day I said to my wife, maybe I should, I'll just have a look at it just so I can say I've seen it out of respect to the young man that brought it. And when I watched the DVD, I, I realized very, very quickly that the message that was coming through it and the information that was coming out of it directly connected with what I was beginning to see in the Bible, what I believe the Holy Spirit was showing me about God's heart towards us and what the opposition is to the plan of God. Now, at that point, the whole story of the Bible, the world that we live in, the history of the world that we live in, my life in the context of all of that came into this spotlight. And suddenly I was thrust into a world that I thought I knew, but now I was beginning to see in a whole different light. And it was initially quite a shocking experience. I thought a lot of this is never talked about. And have I got this wrong? Have I missed the point in all of this? But the reality was I was taking a snapshot into a world that I believe as God sees it, not as I want to see it. And that's where the challenge began. And that really was the point at which the book began to unfold itself. And then, of course, the encouragement from my wife and family to just write it, you know, just write it. And I never saw myself as an author, as I say, but I began to write and um, put down on paper what I talked about very briefly in one of the events we had. I think we uh, we called it Generation Rising, and then we did a part two to that. Um, but the book was really just bringing together all of the backstory and putting it into a format that gave someone else and others the opportunity to sit, to read, to do their own homework, to ask questions, and then to flesh out some of the answers without anyone dictating how or what they do in that that context. Yeah, so I think we've got a really good background and backdrop and I just want to now start by opening the book because I want our listeners to kind of start to get even more of a flavor of the words that are inside this book hmm. and so let me just open up the contents page so we've got examples of different areas so we've obviously got the introduction which we're going to look at today we've got things like trading in the souls of men the soil the blood of Abel we've got um different people and characters under a chapter called the evangelists like Francis Galton, Clarence Gamble. We've got a chapter called the hidden tree which is the same name as the book. So in there we've got the materials, racial laws, racial politics. We see near the end like new eugenics the final solution, the first hippie colony, Monte Verita. And so we've got a ton a ton of different topics going on. So I want to kind of ask you obviously as the author how would you best describe this book? Well, well, for me, the whole book is wrapped up in the metaphor of the tree. And the reason it's got so many different subjects is literally because that's how it was given to me. Uh, it started off with a root system. And as I began to explore this root system, I realized how complex and how layered it is. Then you look at how the root system feeds the tree, this organic 
object that sits above ground and you think, well, it's a beautiful structure, it has fruit, it gives anyone that's passing by something to consume, something to eat. But going back to the root system, there has to also be a soil within which this tree grows. And the book really attempts to take the reader through what that soil is. What is the root system? How did it start? You know, what was the seed that was planted? And then as it grew, what formed that root system? What then was the character of the tree as it began to break through the soil and come out into the, the daylight? And that's the reason why it's called a hidden tree, because it's a metaphor on a system. And it's as though God removed the veil and I was now seeing it clearly and realized this is a philosophy really that sits within our lifestyle every single day and touches on every aspect of our, our experience. Amazing. So you've got hidden tree as a metaphor. And obviously we see a tree in, in Genesis. Mm. And also because obviously I've got some background knowledge on this, the tree within eugenics as yeah. well. So yes. I guess all of this is kind of interwoven into. Yes. Yeah. And it was really just, uh, again, I believe this was given to me. Honestly, when I look back at the book, sometimes I flick through the pages and I read through elements of it and I'm thinking, I don't even recall writing this. But you're right, the two trees, two symbols. We have the tree in the Garden of Eden. This is mentioned at the beginning of the book, but we also have the eugenics tree. Now, this isn't a book about eugenics. It's actually talking about a philosophy and eugenics is part and parcel of that. Okay. So in 1921, they actually used the tree as a symbol of their organisation. And for those that don't know about eugenics, it's actually uh, this belief that somehow we can have a better humanity by selecting who would live to be the superior and finding ways of reducing or eliminating those that, that are considered to be unfit and a waste on society, if I can put it as plainly as that. So the, the, the metaphor of the tree in this book is highlighting this opposite to the tree of life in the garden of eden it's looking at something that actually is a tree of death everything about it consumes and takes away the things that give us life in order to promote its own ends and this is why i call this tree a philosophy it's a global philosophy not not just a local one it's a global philosophy that has been around for a long time and has grown into something that we are now feeding on without realizing how it's impacting our lives Hey, so this is really interesting. Um, and so we've done a backdrop on who you are. We've got a basic understanding of, well, more than a basic, actually. We've got a really good foundation on what the book is about, why even the name The Hidden Tree, which I know uh, a lot of readers would be asking. And, okay, so let's take a look now at our core topic for this episode, which is the introduction. Okay. So when I open up the introduction, I've seen a general pattern throughout the book that you start each core section with a scripture and you've chosen Ezekiel 8 uh, verses 9 to 12. And I just wanted to ask, why did you start the book with this specific scripture? When I began to see this unfolding world that was in plain sight, but at the same time, it, it seemed to be hidden away from me, it seemed to make sense that Ezekiel eight, nine to 12 was the, the opening scripture, because in that instance, it was talking about something that seemed to be hidden from view. But God was saying to Ezekiel, listen, I see what everyone's doing. 
And I want to show you, I want to give you a snapshot into why this nation has been taken away into other nations or by other nations. I want to show you some of the things that they were doing in secret and saying God does not see. And this is parallel with the same attitude that we have as, as human beings, whether we're believers or not, where we have a tendency to believe that we can do stuff and God does not see. So in the context of the book, this is really foundational to what um, is in the pages of it. Uh, God sees there is a, an openness, it seems, in Ezekiel for the people to engage in what can only be described as occult practices. They were willing to worship any kind of deity. They would develop their own uh, system of worship to suit their own selves. And then, on the other hand, they'd engage in all the things that God said they should, so they were living a dual life, if that makes sense. So that, to me, was a perfect fit for the things that were written in the pages of, of the book. Okay, so we've got Ezekiel 8, verses 9 to 12. And so it says here, let me just read it just to make sure everyone's on board. Said, then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dig into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jazaniah the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. So, as you were saying, Valtin, everything that you're talking about here is in the secret, hidden behind the walls. People saying that no one knows, mm. and you're pulling back the veil. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me, you see. And the important thing to remember here is that Ezekiel could only see what God revealed to him. And I think this, to me, spoke very clearly about where we are, because generally speaking, as congregations, we live in a world where it's becoming less and less popular to call yourself a Christian of any kind. And the influences that come through are putting the pressure on for those that believe in the way to actually happily engage in worshipping all sorts of different idols, things that we've made with our own hands, going into forms of spirituality and all, all this sort of stuff. But God sees it all, and he knows that whatever we think we can do in this context in secret, he's already revealed. He knows it. He sees it. And this is why, for me, it was such a shock when I began to see how that was unveiling in real terms. So your listeners might think, well, I'm not saying anything different to what any other person would say in terms of the faith, but in real terms, what this is about is looking at every aspect of our experience, whether it be politics, whether it be anthropometrics, whether it's uh, medicine, or any other area that you might consider that we hold as, as dear in our experience. It goes behind it and gives you the backstory as to why it exists and why we experience such pressure. And often, even as Christians, it's difficult for us to experience what we would call breakthroughs. I like that. So what you're doing is making the hidden tree visible for all the readers who decide to read your book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And bearing in mind, the book itself is just an introduction to the whole subject. I had to extract the most key pieces of information to allow the reader to do their own exploration. But the subject, the root system, is growing so fast that it's, it's difficult to write up to the hour, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I'm going to read an excerpt from your introduction. So you start off by saying, For decades, scholars, philosophers, politicians, and a plethora of other influences in society have explored the deep issues of humanity and have awakened with a headache of humongous proportions. Wars, ethnic groups and against ethnic groups, famines, epidemics, poverty, inequality, global warming, economic instability, terrorism, the list goes on and on. It is in this environment of chaos and self-worship that great thinkers have spent a lifetime searching for root causes and solutions. They use nothing more than the human intellect and lean on the explorations of past thinkers as the compass for navigating the issues of the soul. As a result, we are inundated with incredible and incredulous ideas clothed in the garb of science, technology and spirituality. And so when we read through the introduction, because obviously I've just given an excerpt here, you straight away start challenging some huge subjects like evolution, psychology, Mm. yoga, and you pull on all these strands that we see now as kind of like a common uh, idea or concept within our current existence. And I just wanted to ask you, like, why did you feel it was necessary to challenge these concepts and ideas from the get-go? Again, this is back to the root system. When I began to look at the information in front of me, it started off with a seed and evolution was that seed. I suppose it's talking about the Industrial Revolution. It's talking about that period when there was an explosion of something during which people like Charles Darwin were now the face of this new world, this new way of thinking. And from that, we get an explosion of inventions and ideas and concepts that were throwing off the garb of or the clothing of the uh, biblical worldview. So there was no other option other than to jump straight in and highlight this so that for the reader, they can start at a similar point to where I had to begin and then begin to follow the trail as you're led off to tracks off the main road and then brought back on again so that you understand the the panoramic view that, that God's seeing. Because I think what's important to remember is that the things that we often discuss and talk about, whether we hear it on the news or through other media, they're usually dialogued in isolation. So you might hear someone talking about politics and the latest um, politicians and the party's thoughts and what they're trying to achieve, immigration being somewhere near the top of that list. And then in another quarter, you might hear scientists talking about the future of the world and how we can challenge and deal with the issues of climate change. But usually they're always talked about in isolation or certainly from the public's point of view, they are seen as separate issues. So right at the outset, what was given to me, I share in the book, all of these elements are connected, but how are they? And that's why I start that way. Lovely. Yeah, because when I started reading the beginning of this introduction, I was like, wow, there is a lot here, a lot of things that we have, you know, planted and and some more than others, things that we believe are a certain way and you're straight away going, nope. I'm counter to this, the opinion of my, what I'm writing is counter to this. And you, in some ways, 
leave certain elements open. Yeah, yeah. And I assume then you're going to address some of the open questions that you've put. So, for example, here you said, do we believe that we have evolved? Unfortunately, there is little evidence for such a theory. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, it's, I suppose it's the way I think as well. I remember it's been years of questioning and praying and asking questions. Now, for me, the whole concept of evolution, I've learned that with any theory, it's important to start at the beginning of that theory. Where did it come from? Who came up with it? Why was it written? Does it include me? And of course, I stopped at that question. Does it include me? Because in evolution, as a young black man, it seemed to exclude people of color. So I then thought, well, if that's part of that system, then there's something flawed about it, but I can't explain it. What is it? And so for the reader, I want the reader to be able to get a taster and then begin to follow that same journey through without leaving the story, be courageous enough to actually face the answers. So this isn't an issue of race, but it's an overarching view of God's perspective on the world that we live in, which then takes it above all the stuff that we say it is. It puts it squarely into his arena where he determines what is faith, what is the way, how are we supposed to live? That's why it was written like that at the beginning. Yeah, so you touched a bit there on the worldview that you're writing from. So in the last paragraph, you make mention, well, you do make mention to the fact that this book has been placed within the Bible and the biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask why this worldview? I, I feel like I already know the answer to this question. But I wanted to ask you anyway, so you can say in your own words, why you chose to write The Hidden Tree from the biblical worldview. Right. Uh, again, it is very, very simple. We have many, many books that will talk about the new thinkers. It will talk about what is truth. We'll speak about what is spirituality. There's all sorts of books that have been written. And um, I think as a believer, it's only authentic to write from a biblical worldview. Because in for me, the reader needs to understand, I'm not looking at this as a humanist. I'm looking at the world around me and I'm making a truth statement that this is God's perspective on this world. And the biblical worldview, for me, offers a very clear distinction between what is self-actualization or what my thoughts might be as a human being, separate to what God's thoughts are. So the biblical worldview was important. And you'll see in the beginning of the book how those two roads can then be made very clear, very distinct. It's because we need to have a measuring line. It's impossible to come to any kind of conclusions on subjects, regardless of what they are, unless we know what the rules are from the outset. So I, I make no apologies for highlighting to the reader, this is the perspective that you're going to be reading from. And my prayer is that it's not compromised by my own thoughts, but it's really a compilation of the information that were given to me, as opposed to a lot of things that I could have said that were from my own heart. So for the reader, again, it's cutting away all the stuff that we usually get exposed to, whether that is in Christian circles through preachers, teachers, videotapes, whatever it is, but it's really honing in on a worldview and then tr keeping the Bible in focus as the lens for looking at that world. Remember, this is God's heart. This is what he 
has written in his word. And when we read the word alongside this book, because it's not to replace the Bible, then we should have a clearer perspective on the world that we are living in this 21st century and what we then expect to see happening next. That is amazing. So I feel like we've covered the entire introduction mm-hmm. and we've really spoken, well, you've definitely spoken around a lot of really important topics. And I hope as a listener, you have heard elements of things that will make you want to deep dive further into this book and also stay engaged with us as we go through this season looking at the hidden tree. So I want to thank you today, Valtin, for joining us. And I know you'll be with us for the next set of episodes. Otherwise, I mean, this concept of this podcast wouldn't work. But the next episode, we'll be looking into chapter one, trading in the souls of men. So if you enjoyed listening today, I haven't purchased a book. The book is also available on all major retailers such as Amazon and Waterstones. And do get yourself a copy or you can just listen along. That is totally fine. And we hope you as a listener can join us for the next episode of Beside the Author. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.